Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. All right, I want to thank you, Caleb Isley, for uh, joining uh, Adventist Voices. Yeah, you're welcome. Good to be here. And um, I'm really honored to have you here as the founder of Humans of Adventism. And also, I want to talk to you about your new role at Oregon Conference. So let's get started with... um, how you are connected to Adventism. Did you grow up Adventist? Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my blood has been, I mean, distilled in Adventism since who knows when. Uh, not just that, but specifically the area around uh, Indiana Academy. So if you were to walk down the halls of Indiana Academy, they have the pictures of every graduating class since the beginning of the school's history in like 1902. And if you go down there, you will see my great grandparents, my grandparents, my parents, and my wife and I all on the pictures of that hallway. So my history, uh, both in my father and mother's line goes back probably to early 1900s, if not before uh, with the Adventist church. So, I mean, it's a it's it's part of our culture, um, very heavily like family, very heavy family ties to it, um, and you know really just went through the whole you know Adventist school system experience, Pathfinders, kind of the, the stereotypical experience in some ways. Um, both of my parents sort of disconnected from the church, but believed that I should still be in the Adventist system. So um, there were times when I was actually dropped off at church where I would go and my parents wouldn't. Uh, so, but, but it's very much a part of our, our cultural history. And uh, yeah, even, even at times when they, they weren't attending, it wasn't because they had joined any other religion. It was just whether or not they were kind of connected with the weekly attendance portion of Adventism. Yeah, you know, I think um, maybe back in the day that was less common. I I think with uh, the generate the boomer generation and beyond, that's not as uncommon as it used to be, um, especially for multi generation Adventists. How did you negotiate your relationship to this kind of history? Was it always a point of pride for you, or um, or was it um, something else? I, I wouldn't say always, but being raised in the Adventist school system and having close friendships from, say, fifth grade through the end of high school that were the same people, you just, I was able to operate in a majority Adventist sphere, right? So the people I knew were mostly Adventists, that kind of thing. So I was proud to be part of what the people around me were part of, you know, um, once I got into college, I actually, I got married at, at 20 years old to my wife, um, and she was 18 and we had to leave kind of the Adventist college experience, um, ended up working for a while and going back to public college where I was literally the only seventh day Adventist that anyone had met. The only one that I knew, uh, on a daily basis and, 
I would say there there came more of a realization of of who we are to other people during that time. Um, but thankfully, being the only Adventist that people knew, I actually sort of created a culture in my own sphere where people had a, a positive view of Adventists because they were basing it on our relationship. And I was able to have these supportive relationships and, and encouraging relationships with other people uh, pretty easily. And so that was their kind of first impression, you know, which is kind of the opposite of what, what you find kind of back where I grew up in Indiana or, you know, these other areas where Adventism has more of a footprint. You get more people with uh, distrust and sure. and that kind of thing or bad experiences. But that that's not what I kind of grew in um, yet. Did, did you always feel comfortable uh, calling yourself an Adventist? Uh, sometimes, and the reason I ask that, folks who grow up and kind of go to the same schools that they're uh, relatives have gone to feel sometimes a bit of constriction there and they, they decide, Hey, I don't want to be Adventist. Other times folks go to like a public college campus or a workplace that's not, uh, you know, church connected and they get, feel like, Hey, this is a chance for me to kind of, you know, kind of explore other aspects of my identity. It's sounding like you kind of moved through both seamlessly or am I missing something? So I, I would say I felt some of that sort of discomfort at first, just because I didn't want to stick out or seem too different, but a couple of things worked in my favor. One is my parents never had this kind of, of view and pressure where like you're going to hell if you leave the church or I'm going to call and make sure you're going to church or a lot of these, these pressures that other Adventist uh, people growing up feel, my parents didn't do. Uh-huh. So I really didn't feel like any sense of like, I'm going to rebel against what they're making me do or this obligation or anything like that. I, I had been in a more of a position, especially as an adult, where I was choosing to be part of it, even when they weren't. Um, and the other thing is, like, I, my college experience was, I mean, interfaith groups were big, cross-cultural communication and friendships were big, and I was lucky enough to be part of, I mean, the, the, the overall culture that I came into was one where people were just curious about each other, um, whether they were atheist, agnostic, Muslim, New Age, whatever, you had these different people who were just like, hey, here's what I think. What do you think? Yeah. So for me, it actually became a really like cool thing to be Adventist where it's like, you're the only Adventist we know, like tell us about it. Yeah. And and people weren't looking to convert, but they were interested and supported me as a person of this kind of faith. So I think that that's, that's very different from most people's experience, but I didn't really feel ashamed. I felt like, okay, I can own my faith. I am Adventist, even if I am not the stereotypical Adventist, you know, I, I, I didn't have to be a certain type of Adventist. I felt more discomfort, I'd say in an Adventist church being the way that I kind of go through this faith experience than I did on a public campus. 
Wow, that's so interesting. I I do uh, connect a lot to what you said there. I had a similar experience, and um, it it I think that you know there's a certain type of pastor out there or Adventist uh, thinker who warns about relativism um, and really seems to be troubled by the fact that there might not just be one truth or, you know, uh, absolute truth is something that uh, is in negotiation in our world, our pluralistic world today. And I think it sounds like this experience um, mirrors what I experienced, which is that I actually kind of understood my own Adventist identity better because I was in conversation with folks of other faiths and we weren't really competing to see who had the better truth. In fact, we were just sort of asking each other questions and it made me feel really proud to be an Adventist in those contexts. So let's talk about um, uh, your, you know, how how did you get this idea of doing um, Humans of Adventism? Sure. So one thing I I don't want to do is claim that this was an original idea. Um, This is very much, I I was a huge, huge reader of Humans of New York and Brandon Stanton's work. Um, Basically, if if people haven't found that by some chance, this is a a very, very popular uh, movement of photographers and journalists uh, started by this guy, Brandon Stanton, who literally just went into New York City, took pictures of the people that he found there and just talked to them about life and, and, and how they viewed the world and just released this massive amount of content from the homeless person to celebrities to anywhere in between old and young Um, And I was just fascinated by that. But what really stuck with me was as I read those stories, I could feel my views and my, my thoughts on the person changing. I would look at a picture. I'd be like, Oh, that person looks gross or that person looked weird or whatever. But then once I read their life and was put in their kind of shoes and looking at the world through their perspective, I found myself interested in them. And I wanted to connect with them, even though I knew I never would in person. Um, and, and as I started reading through these, I was just drawn into this, this approach. And so this is, you know, this is during my college experience. And afterward, after I graduated and everything, I started looking at non-traditional ways to approach faith work. Like, how do we engage Seventh-day Adventists in... A more broad content, more broad thinking, you know, th- these kinds of things. And definitely, how do we break us out of this kind of exclusiveness that we have? Um, so I started thinking, all right, at my church, what if we just started sharing in this format pictures and stories of the people in my church, my local church? Um, I was running social media for that church, um, and I was just... I was just really trying to think of ways that we could connect with other human beings uh, in a way that's not inviting them to a revelation seminar or, or a health clinic. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to compete or bash or any of those different endeavors. However, I do think that there needs to be more and broader, a broader range of things that we do Um, and definitely more accessible content. And so 
unfortunately, it didn't work out with my local church. People had really no idea what I was trying to describe to them or do. Um, so I just, I was like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So is there, is there a Humans of Adventism page? I started looking for it, and no, there was not. No one had done this. And so I was like, man, it would be, it would be so easy to just do this. Just talk to Adventists, you know? And so played with the idea. I talked to a bunch of people about it. There were some people who thought it was a great idea and a lot of people who just, again, didn't really understand the vision. Huh. Um, but we did it anyway. And What kept you going through that? Uh, was it just the power of your kind of vision of what it could be? or I almost didn't start several times. Um, the big hang-up for me was that I couldn't figure out how to do my own photography. Oh. I wanted to take my own pictures, but I live in Orangeburg, South Carolina. There are probably 20 Adventists in Orangeburg, South Carolina. You know, maybe, maybe 50 now, but really, we would burn through them very quickly. So I come from more of a, a journalism background anyway, had done well over probably 100 interviews for newspapers and websites and things before starting this. And so I was just like, let's use what they already have. You know, let's, let's use the pictures that people already have and start with that and then figure out how to do them later. So really started it that way. And I think it was just the encouragement, especially through those first few stories. People were messaging me saying, I, this person is a close friend of mine and I never knew this about them. Huh. I, I know, I've known them for years. I've gone to church with them for years. I do all these things with them and I never knew about this. And so that constant feedback and engagement and seeing people connect and do all these different things because of the influence of a Facebook post, uh, really, it was, it was mind blowing to me that, that with my cell phone, I could have an impact like that with, with no funding, no office, no sponsor, you know, just, just to do literally starting a page and using Facebook messenger to talk to people. And that's the whole, deal. wow, that's, uh, totally, uh, um, kind of, uh, DIY there. I love it. Um, so let's, I want to jump, I, I want to talk about, uh, a couple of the, or I'd love to hear from you, one of your favorite ones or something that, you know, maybe early on said, yes, we find we're doing what we want to do. Maybe it was the first one. There's one um, from 2018 that I always think about, which is the guy with the semicolon tattoo, um, which I thought was such a great um, face of Adventism because you don't, you, you don't, that sort of person doesn't really get a much of a voice in, um, in sort of mainstream Adventist media. Um, he's not going to show up on mm -hmm. Hope Channel. He's not going to be in, a, in the review, but he's in, you know, you know, every single conference, at least in the North American division, some guy like him. Um, and uh, the fact that he's talking about mental illness, that he's talking about suicide ideation, that he's showing this um, tattoo that is so thoughtfully connected to his, uh, his internal state. I love that we're looking at the outside and we're learning something about the inside. 
with this human yes. of Adventism. And it's something that we all do. We all look on the outside and then try to figure out something about the inside. And I just think that the fact that you um, profiled him uh, namelessly uh, was such a beautiful way of, of opening up uh, a kind of avenue of empathy um, into someone who's really all around us. I think that's one thing that's really, really making this this movement grow is that we're specifically, I mean, going into details and things that are are sort of taboo topics. I don't think that that's an intentional. Like, I don't set out to say, all right, today we're going to cover abuse. Today we're going to cover, um, you know, money issues or that kind of thing. But we have created an atmosphere where people have the opportunity to share those things. And there's sort of a void for, for that kind of opportunity. And so I think we do sort of lean into the, the, the different taboos and personal topics that people are dealing with. And the example that you brought up is such a great intersection of multiple Adventist taboos, right? For him, not only is there the tattoo, which historically has been um, very frowned upon in the Adventist church. Sure. Um, you also have this, this subject of uh, suicidal ideation and mental health um, that is, is maybe not frowned upon, well, frowned upon in, in certain communities, but also just people aren't comfortable with it. Sure. And we don't have really a lot of safe places to, to go into that kind of thing within our denomination. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was, that was a big story. We have a, a lot of different things. Um, we have now people are coming to the page wanting to share things that they don't have another outlet for. And while I can't always work with that, there have been several. Um, I remember just recently we had somebody who, who lost uh, a baby during their pregnancy. And, and we talked about it and, and really she wanted a chance to share this. She didn't want to keep having conversations. She kept having people come to her and ask how she, how she was doing and how the pregnancy was going. And she wanted something where she could just tell her story and then point people that way and say, All right, here's what happened. Hmm. Um, and, and it's just crazy, you know, that I didn't, I didn't necessarily set out to do that, but it's become a facet of my experience. Um, and, and one thing too is, is the fact that we've remained independent means that we can also cover topics that um, very much would be frowned upon by, you know, more institutional pages. Um, we've, we've had people share their coming out stories. We've had just all kinds of different pieces of the human experience. And I think, I think also what you said about kind of getting a, a, a perception of somebody from the outside and then going into the inside is what I do every single interview. Huh. Right. I approach this person where all I know is what I can see. Yeah. And I start my questions based on what I can see and what I guess about them. And a hundred percent of the time I'm surprised 
you know, we turn up something that I didn't see. We turn up some struggle that they're having that I didn't have any indication that they were having. And it's just the beautiful part of this work, really. Yeah. You know, here's a short list of things that I think make it work, and I'd love to get your feedback on them or, or others. One, I think it's great that you um, don't you know, use people's names. Um, just from my experience, I, I'm always paying attention to a name just because I like to kind of get a connection or understand something. And here you're really forcing me to, to folk uh, as a reader and a viewer to think to listen or read their story first before trying to figure out who they are and where they come from by their name. Um, I -hmm. love the brevity of the, the posts, um, and the, uh, relative diversity as well. I, you know, I think one of the huge strengths of Adventism is its global diversity and the way that, as a North American Adventist myself, the North American church pulls in folks because of our educational um, uh, institutions, pulls in folks from around the world and creates a diverse experience for people who want, you know, a, as a positive thing for people who want to embrace that. But the church has, you know, really struggled um, for a variety of reasons, uh, particularly structurally, with really. Um, doing diversity well and i think you represent a kind of generational perspective that's a lot more comfortable with diversity um not just comfortable but maybe really into it and Mm -hmm. so i think that that makes your work really strong um there's definitely an embrace of uh vulnerability there and um so i'm just curious are those sort of um did those come naturally to you, those choices, um, or is it something that you've worked on? So those, I would say both. Um, those are very intentional values in how I go about this. Um, I think if you go back to, there's a, uh, an interview that I did with Spectrum, I think last year, that really talked about the social views and political views that I held over time. And what's interesting is that I came from uh, a very anti-multiculturalist view. Very, um, I don't know, a lot of prejudice, a lot of ignorance. And it really took me into my adulthood to, to fight that and to start trying to come out of that. And as we were talking about in my college experience, I met people who were accepting to me and explored things with me, despite the fact that I was different from them. Hmm. And they really modeled this kind of person that I wanted to be. And so over time, like the, the way that I fought that personally is to intentionally go out and, and initiate conversations with people either I'm ignorant about or uncomfortable talking to or whatever. Um, and I've done that now for years of my life where it's, it's now a habit. But I, I can't claim that that is how I've been or that it's a, a virtue I've always held or anything like that. It's definitely something I've learned. Sure. And something that I, I want to kind of help lead our audience through. Hmm. You know, I, I want people to find humans of Adventism through someone that they want to read about, someone who looks like them, someone who thinks like them, 
And as they start following, be exposed to other perspectives as well. Um, and, and it's a really, I've, I've seen it kind of working in this really beautiful way where people who would never in person initiate conversation with another specific person uh, are, are discussing that person's story and it's challenging them. And that's, that's definitely something I, I would like to see accomplished. Um, but yeah, I, I would say personally, there, there's definitely an interest in, in multicultural stories. And I think that we as a church very, very much need this attitude of, of intentionally seeking out different voices and intentionally trying to learn where, where all of this fits in and not really taking the attitude that, you know, white is right, or we, we are the authority on every issue. We need more of an attitude of learning. And that's really more the, the type of thing that I'm about is just, I recognize my own ignorance and I'm, I'm exploring that in my work as well. That's great for you to share that. Um, we'll definitely post a link to that interview in the po- yeah, in the article. Um, let's talk. Can, do you mind talking a little bit about kind of the nuts and bolts of how you use social media to uh, um, present um, humans of Adventism? Sure. Yeah. I, um, so I've I've worked in social media and journalism uh, starting mid college. Uh, so I, I was kind of exposed to like, for example, how to do. Facebook ads, what kind of aesthetic people respond to, how to start a story strong where people actually choose to stay on and read through the whole thing. Um, so I think there, there are a lot of elements to this. I would say what it looks like for the most part is me looking at my cell phone. <laughs> but, but what I'm doing is if you, if you look at Brandon Stanton's work, he goes out into New York city on foot, right? With a camera. Yeah. And he interviews the people that he finds there. If you were to follow my mind and what I'm doing through my cell phone, you would find that I am walking around the digital space. I am exploring the different kind of nooks and crannies of Adventist uh, digital presence. So interesting. So I mean, I'm into all kinds of Adventist media pages, um, news, all kinds of different things, comment sections, forums, and really all I'm doing is just walking around in there, saying, "All right, you're a Seventh Day Adventist. Let me talk to you. All right, you're a Seventh Day Adventist. Let me talk to you." And and I send out, I mean, hundreds. Hundreds, probably knocking on a thousand or more messages to people, just introducing myself, saying, "Hey, my name is Caleb Isley. I run this thing called Humans of Adventism. Here's what it looks like. And honestly, I just want to have a conversation with you. And if you're okay with it, I want to post that to social media. Um, so I've been doing this for uh, nearly two years, and we've we've released around 200 interviews, uh, 200 stories." And I've probably, I've probably attempted a thousand, um, many, many of those, either people say, no, thank you. They don't respond. It gets stuck in their kind of other Facebook messenger folder, whatever reason yeah. it is. Um, but that's the, that's the approach that I use. Um, as far as editing, we do go through a, a, 
a couple of things that are, are very intentional about how we draft our stories. Number one, you will almost never see any words from me, the interviewer. Um, it's an interviewer absent post. Um, so it's going to be cleared of my words. It's going to be cleared of emojis and capital letters and typos and rants, that kind of thing. And really just be kind of edited down to the core of what's going on. Yeah, it's really clean. Yeah. Um, I don't, I mean, there are all kinds of things, especially if you're working through messaging uh, apps and things like that, that people include that just will not work for your story. Um, yeah. But, you know, if we go through anything that's that's beyond kind of grammatical errors and things like that, what I do is just get back with the person, say, here's what it looks like to kind of consolidate this story. Do I have your approval to release this? And generally they have some opinions and we work through that. Um, but really starting strong is very important for social media. Um, if you do this kind of work, you have, I mean, maybe three to six seconds or less where someone decides to invest their time in your content or not. And so it's very important that you don't start where the person starts. Very few people start talking on the interesting part. Yeah. Have all kinds of background, pages and pages of their history that really has very little to do with the story or doesn't need to be there. Yeah. And so generally where you'll see our stories start is around the middle or toward the end um, where someone has already talked for a long time and then they get to what really happened. Um, and, and that's what, what the story ends up being. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just the kind of reality of, of digital journalism and content. So you do, uh, in 2019, you do so you're, you're clearly, you know, kind of bringing an editor's mind to the post. Let, can I jump back and just find out when you're, you, you know, um, walking through the digital spaces of Adventism, what um what are you what are you looking for what makes you decide to reach out to someone do you especially if you're just are you you know basing it off of a facebook profile or you know some comments that someone left somewhere what makes you kind of pull the trigger i think i have a pretty broad range i think um i think one one kind of limiting factor for me is the availability of existing photos. Oh yeah. So one thing that's been really hard because I, I have a heart for kind of cross generational conversation. I would like more age diversity, but we end up with a lot of uh, Gen X, Millennial, and Gen Z stories because they're the type of people who generally have available photos. Yeah. Um, that kind of fit the aesthetic that we're going for. Um, one thing that I've tried to do is link up with photographers in someone's area to provide more opportunities to kind of make it work anyway. Um, but really, I don't, I would say if we've had a lot of a certain type of story, maybe that might make me explore like different areas. Like if, if we've had just several highly liberal political posts or several highly uh, religious sounding posts, maybe that'll take me to a different area of the internet or, okay. you know, maybe sure. I, I do some in person as well. 
Um, but I would just say kind of trying to balance the content that we have. And then also just, I come across as I'm doing this, all kinds of other stories too. I come across conversations people are having. I come across, um, you know, comments on current events and things like that. And sometimes I'll just say, Hey, I was also on this page that you were on and I saw you were talking about this. Would you mind exploring that with me? Um, so there, there are a lot of ways that it happens for sure. I wouldn't say that there's a particular formula as much as I just know the limiting factors that I'm working with. Yeah. Um, and just try to make it work with, with what I can. So you've, um, you're independent media, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but I know that you've done things, you spoke for society of Adventist communicators and you've partnered with a couple of Adventist uh, institutional Adventist publications. Spectrum has obviously interviewed you in the past. Mm -hmm. um, how do you negotiate that tension between kind of being able free to make your own choices and do your own thing with the the advantages that come with uh, collaboration with uh, church or parachurch entities? Sure. So when I started this, I did not expect any kind of support or supportive relationship with institutional Adventism. Um, I recognized that the type of story that I wanted to cover would not be allowed in a lot of publications. Um, and I was okay with that. However, I was, I've been pleasantly surprised that a lot of different areas within the institution are interested in some kind of healthy dialogue and relationship. So, you know, anytime that I can support the good in our church, I want to. Anytime we can work together for the greater good, I want to. But kind of my limit is, you know, will working with you or your conference or your event make me feel that I cannot explore certain topics? You know, is this, is this going to shut out certain people for me? Mm -hmm. And so kind of as I'm choosing where to speak and, and who to be involved with and things, I make it very clear to the people that I'm working with that I have to be allowed to continue without the control of the institution. So however we want to work that out, if we can, I want to. Great. If we can't, I'll, I'll work somewhere else. Um, but I would say I expected much more of that, especially during my first kind of speaking engagements. I spoke at the NAD. I mean, some, some kind of bigger level stuff and really they've they've done a very good job of kind of supporting as much as they're comfortable with and just working together where we can uh -huh. without really trying to uh, inhibit what we're doing or limit what we're doing i think being because we are independent they have the freedom of saying oh we're not associated with that whenever they want to yeah you know um but but at this point um, I mean, we, we have a good working relationship. Um, I, we do have our differences for sure, but I think just even, even Adventist leadership, they are human beings as well. And yeah. I think that whether they're allowed sometimes to, uh, publicly have an opinion, uh, they have their own opinions anyway. 
Um, I want to talk about your new role with Oregon Conference uh, next before we wrap up. But I have one question, and that is, um, have you been sort of attacked or critiqued? Um, and what is that experience like for you? Sure. Um, I, for the most part, I have a pretty uh, kind of like positive uh, relationship with other Adventists. Um, I will say there's a certain like amount of them that are very uncomfortable with us discussing topics of prejudice and and kind of these different taboo things. Um, so you know I'll get I'll get comments on our Facebook page like you know why is this page so political or whatever. Um, yeah. But they're usually drowned out by a lot of people who who really are getting something of value from what we're doing. Uh-huh. Um, I think just, just recently, just last night, uh, something that I was part of Adventist revolution. Um, there was a whole hour and 40 minute sermon released, uh, on YouTube, 18,000 views or something like that. <laughs> basically, basically, I mean, and my face is there. It says Caleb Isley, humans of Adventism. I'm talking in a video for them. And this whole sermon is just about how, uh, youth Adventist youth movements and and colleges and things are in apostasy. We are heretics leading people away from true religion and a true relationship with God. I think the the term that the pastor used was that this is odious to God's nostrils. Oh, nice, <laughs> like, nice. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I I I knew that there would be things like that, um, but I also recognized that these these kinds of things are, are often fringe groups and they are not representative of your average Seventh-day Adventist anyway. That's great. Great perspective. Um, courage, brother, I say, as you go through this, <laughs> it happens to uh, many, many folks. Um, so you uh, not only profile other folks and I'll really give them a chance to be open uh, to your community of uh, readers and viewers, but you are not, uh, you par have participated as well, um, sharing your own struggles um, as a young person out there trying to do something that you care about and make a living um, and being a part of a church. And, and so I really appreciate that. Um, and I wanted to ask you about your new um, role with Oregon Conference. What are you going to be doing for them? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. I, I want to talk about the specifics because I want to make it really clear what this is. Why I'm excited about this is because I am not coming in as an employee of the Oregon Conference. I have been contracted to do this type of work for the Oregon Conference. Okay. And why that makes a difference for me is an employee has a certain type of... Um, I think pressure where, you know, I will lose my job if I work outside the lines. Yeah. I will lose my job if this. Okay. As a contractor, yes, I can lose my contract, but as long as I am producing the kinds of things that they need produced, that is my relationship with them. So I'm, I'm able to be fully independent running humans of Adventism and the specifics of kind of what my responsibilities are for the Oregon conference are to adapt this idea 
for the people in their territory. Cool. So they, they have created, and I'm, I'm so excited about this, to see something on an institutional level where they have created the funding and the position because they have seen value in what's going on. So they said, you know, be independent, but also use those skills for us as well. And that's, that's the ideal relationship Yeah, you know, where, where we can do something healthy together. We can further the cause of humans of Adventism, further the cause of Oregon conference, but most of all, further the cause of Jesus Christ. And I just, you know, it was a bold move. This hasn't been done before. Um, and they, they have set now, if this goes well, a precedent for a new kind of relationship with young Adventist creatives or even old Adventist creatives, but people who, who bring something different and outside the box to the table. Um, they, they have created this space now where if something is working and going right and impacting people, you can have a working relationship, a paying relationship together where you don't just have to earn your, your MDiv. You don't have to be a pastor for them. You don't have to be a literature evangelist for them. You can take the thing that you are doing and put it to work. And, and I'm just, I'm very excited about that. So I'll, pre- I'll be producing uh, two stories every week for the Oregon conference, as well as um, managing their uh, Facebook and their Instagram accounts. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Very excited about that. That'll be fun. When do you uh, start? Already doing it. Oh, you are? Great. We'll we'll, uh, definitely uh, include a link uh, to that so people can see it as well. We, uh, we, uh, We will be announcing this sort of new story series. Uh, this week, and then stories start next week. So by the time this is out, uh, there will probably be plenty to look at already. That's great. Well, I've really enjoyed talking with you, Caleb. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, take care. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear.